I want to talk to you about the law tonight. The law, the Old Testament, and how we see so much of the Old Testament in the New Testament. Conservatively, conservatively, I'll get to it again in a minute. Conservatively, uh, almost one third of the New Testament is either made up of either direct quotations or or paraphrases or mentionings of the Old Testament. That's a lot. It it really pays for us to to know our Old Testament because so much of it is in the New Testament. There's a question I want to ask tonight, though, because there's so much doctrinal confusion in the body of Christ and in the religious world as a whole. Is the law of Moses still binding or was it abolished by the death of Jesus Christ? There's, like I said, there's so much doctrinal confusion. Is Jesus really the Messiah, is he really the fulfillment of the law? Or do we have some more of the law that we need to keep? Some of the most fundamental issues of biblical truth are being challenged by people that we know, by people who are friends of ours, who we love and who we would would trust to keep our kids. And one is the notion that the law of Moses, the first five books of the Old Testament, even, let's just dial it down to the Ten Commandments, okay, are still binding upon Christians today. Many argue this point from Matthew chapter 5, verses 17, 17 through 20, as proof that the old law is binding today, that Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law. And because he didn't come to destroy it, it's still binding. One of the problems that the Lord would encounter was a reaction by the Pharisees who would charge that Jesus had designs on destroying the law. It was important that this falsehood be addressed. Because that's not what Jesus was about. Jesus was born a Jew and he died a Jew. He was a good Jew. So Jesus said, you know, we we see this on the wall here. uh, But if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said, think not that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I came not to destroy but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle shall not shall in no wise pass away from the law, till all things be accomplished. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. This word destroy is a word that can mean and have the idea in its context of of some violence being done. Destroy. In context, the Lord was contending that he did not come to violently tear down the law as though it was an enemy. No. No. 
never. Rather, he came, it says, to fulfill it. And this term stands in, in a perfect balancing contrast. Destroy, fulfill. Jesus fulfilled the prophecies, more than 300 of the law. That told of his coming, Luke chapter 24, 24, verse 44. He filled the demand of the law for perfect obedience by his sinless life, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 10. He fulfilled the purpose of the law by being the very object of its design, Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. The law of Moses was never intended to be a permanent institution. The notion that the Torah would continue in effect until the second coming of Christ as some have built religions and denominations around is utterly without biblical support. The helpful effects of the law as designed by the Creator will abide through the age, but not the law itself. But one might wonder... Does not the passage affirm that the law would continue until heaven and earth pass away? It it, it doesn't. The text simply announces, if you look at it, that the law would remain intact until such a time as it is fulfilled. And Jesus was going to fulfill it. Does this mean that the Old Testament has no value to us today? Oh, no, not at all. The Old Testament has great value. The the Old Testament is the body of literature and it's vast and it's wonderful and it's abiding according to Romans chapter 15 verse 4. There's a divine link between the Old and the New Testaments. Uh, They who had only the Old Testament could believe in the birth of Jesus because Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 said it was going to happen. They could believe in the birth, the virgin birth of Jesus. And we know this is true because Matthew chapter 1 verses 21 through 23 exactly quotes this passage. They they could believe in the prophet of Christ. That Christ, Christ would become a prophet. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 8 verses 15 and 16 it said that that would be so. That Jesus would become a prophet. And we know this is true because Acts chapter 3 verses 22 through 23 quotes Deuteronomy and corroborates the story. We... And they knew, they could believe because Psalm 78 verse 2 says how Jesus would teach in parables. And we looked at that this morning in Matthew chapter 13 verse 35. It quotes the Old Testament passage found there in in the Psalms that, that Jesus would teach in parables. It corroborates the story, doesn't it? In Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2, it tells of the compassion of the Christ. And Luke chapter 4 verses 18 through 20 quotes this exact passage. Isaiah 53 verse 4 tells of the healing that Jesus would do. Matthew chapter 8 verse 17 confirms the prophecy. It quotes the passage. Before the New Testament was written, the early disciples could have known that Jesus would have been rejected and hated because the psalmist, quoted by the Gospels of Luke and John, say exactly that. Mark chapter 9 verse 12 quotes Psalm 22 verses 1 through 18 and tells of the suffering that Jesus would suffer. 
The death, burial, resurrection, the ascension, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the expansion of the gospel, the, the, the inclusion of the Gentiles, the, the continued hardening of the, of the Jews, the blessings, the persecutions, were all known by the hearers, all known by the readers of the Old Testament because they were also quoted by the authors of the books in the New Testament. Jesus' view is quoted out of Psalm 22, verse 22. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 12, He who sanctifies, I'm sorry, He who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason He is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. This is, this is quoted in the Hebrew letter from the Old Testament. The old is so much in the new. Some scholars say that fully one-third of the New Testament quotes from the Old. We could almost quote 700 direct New Testament passages found in the Old Testament and hundreds more are are, are paraphrased or, or alluded to. There is a divine link, great link between the Old and New Testament. But does this link, does that mean that Christians are under the commands of the Old Testament today. It does not. Should one be teaching that Christians ought to be observing the commandments of the law of Moses today, from the greatest to the least? No. Not at all. To say so is false teaching. We have got to learn how to properly divide the word of truth. Well, what do I mean by properly divide the word of truth? It's this scripture here from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Look here, we need to be workers. Do you see that? We need to be unashamed workers. We need to be approved unashamed workers. Do you see? We need to be approved unashamed workers who understand how the truth of the Bible is to be applied. And that's our charge. This sermon is a course in dividing the word of truth properly. The word dividing is found nowhere else in the New Testament. And it means to cut straight. This this word in the original language is found nowhere else. It means to cut something really straight. To proceed on straight paths, to hold a straight course, to make straight, to make smooth, to handle right, to teach the truth directly and correctly. We need to be proficient in the Word of God by handling it accurately. We need an understanding that there's both an an old and new by distinguishing between the old and new covenants. Now, why do we need to do this? 2 Timothy chapter 4, 
verses 1 through 5, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap, upon them, heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of the evangelists, fulfill your ministry. This is the reason why. This is the reason why we need to be so diligent in rightly dividing God's Word. Because there are false teachers and there are those that are there maybe even among us and those that are outside. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just telling you what the Apostle said. Are you ready for when they come? We are commanded to be ready because we do not want to be like so many today who have turned their ears away from the truth. We've got to keep fighting, folks. We've got to keep pushing. We need to finish strong in this race toward the goal, the prize, heaven, eternal life. Everything has a purpose. I think I've said it before here. I've, I've still not figured out the purpose of the fly or, or the mosquito. But there's a purpose. The Bible has a purpose too. The purpose of the Bible is found in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And this includes the Old Testament. Because that's what he's quoting. That's what he's talking about. That's the context of the passage. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. What's God's divine power? Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, do I need some direct operation of the Holy Spirit to come down and strike me with lightning so that I have, I have the Holy Spirit? Uh, do I need that to inform me of what God wants me to do? In other words, does the Holy Spirit need to come down and tell me personally, Chad, Chad, you need to do this. And you need to do this. You need to do it in this order. No. In the Scriptures, the righteousness of God is revealed. Do you see? In the Scriptures, the righteousness of God is revealed. The goodness of God is revealed. I live by faith, not by sight. But I will not know the will of God unless I study His will for me that come out of the pages of the Bible. If we don't read our Bibles, what can happen? Well, Acts chapter 17, verses 22 and 23. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in many things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. If you don't study to show yourself approved, you may believe anything. 
And so many people do, don't they? Without the knowledge that comes from God's Word, one can have the righteousness of God. Romans chapter 10 verses 1 through 3. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I I bear them witness that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. I hate saying it this way, but people are are just kind of ignorant, aren't they? I don't mean ignorant in a, in a bad way. I mean ignorant in they just don't know. I mean, that's the kind of the definition of the word ignorant. They don't know. People are ignorant of living right on God's terms. God has a way that we're supposed to live. He set it out in the New Testament. People want to do their things their own way and rewrite the commands of God. Why? Well, because they're ignorant. They just don't know. They haven't studied. And it's there for all of us to study, isn't it? There are two grand divisions in the Bible. I'm not telling you anything you probably don't know. There's the Old Testament and there's the New Testament. Luke chapter 24 verse 44 says, Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all these things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And Jesus here lists some of the, some of the subdivisions. To help us understand the New Testament, you know, we can divide it. You know, we divide it, in, we divide it into the Gospels, don't we? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We, to understand it, we kind of say, okay, here's the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then we have the history book. We have Acts, don't we? we so we can wrap our minds around it. Then we have the, the, the Pauline letters, don't we? We have the, the letters of Paul. Then we have the general letters. And then we have the Revelation, don't we? As I've said, many today say that I must keep the uh, law of Moses, the first five books of the Old Testament, even today. Many today know of the Ten Commandments and say they are binding on Christians today. Fundamental Christian activists, we've seen them. We may know some. They get in a very big tizzy when they take the Ten Commandments out of the school buildings. But I'm not to obey the Ten Commandments today, Emma. I mean, is that the law that I'm under? Or am I under what I've just described to you, the Gospels, the history of Acts, the, the, the Pauline letters, the, the general epistles, the, the, the Revelation? Who wrote the Ten Commandments? Exodus chapter 34 verse 28 says, So he was there with the Lord. Who's that? That's Moses. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He, na- he, na- he neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on, and he, and he's talking about God now, and he wrote on the commandments, the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. God wrote them. And who was his agreement with? Well, it says in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, And Moses called all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your hearing today, that you may learn them and be careful to observe them. Now, who is he talking to? He's talking to all Israel. 
the Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Now, who did he make the covenant with? With us, the children of Israel. The Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers, but with us, those who are here today and all of us who are alive. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob did not have to live under the Ten Commandments. You understand that, don't you? He's saying that right there. Our fathers, he didn't make this covenant with them. Who did he give the law to? It says right there, those who are here today and all of us who are alive. Not us, but them, back then. That's who he made the covenant with. Those who are standing there listening to this in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Has the covenant God gave the children of Israel, the law of Moses, has it been fulfilled? Did Jesus do his job that he set out to do? Has the law fulfilled its mission? Has it been done away with? Well, Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 6 says, Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. Now listen to this. This is interesting. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. He, he's, he's telling us about the divorce and remarriage, but that's not his point, okay? That's not the point of this passage. If you, if you take it as only divorce and remarriage, that's what he's talking about. You're missing the point. You're missing the context. Okay, I'm going to tell you what his context is about here in just a minute. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law, so, so that she is no longer an adulteress, though she marries another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ. Did you see that? Therefore, what, you know, I love Doug. Doug Park says, when we see therefore, we've got to look and see why is that therefore, right? Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another another to him who would get this now to him who was raised from the dead that we should bear the fruit to God for when we were in the flesh I think I've got another one to go there for we when we were in the flesh the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death but now we have been delivered from the law having died to what we were held by so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter what do you mean let me show you i'm a picture kind of guy okay i like pictures romans chapter 7 verses 1 through 7 here's the illustration there's a woman okay and man number one is who she's married to Okay? If man number one is still alive and she marries man number two, that's adultery. We, we got that? Understand? All right. Next, next slide. The woman, okay, if man number one is dead, she's free to marry man number two. All right. We got that, right? All right. Here's the application, verses four through seven. Us today. If we follow the old law, we're in adultery with the new law. You got it? I mean, if, if, if the new law comes alone and we're supposed to follow the old law, well, we're cheating. But look, 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 look. The Ten Commandments, the law, are dead. That's what Paul's saying. The law is dead. So now, there's a, now we're free to go to the new law. 
The abolished law is identified in verse 7. The Ten Commandments. They do not covet. That's what he's talking about here. That's the old law. It's done away with. Now we're under the law of Christ. That's who we're married to now. That's the husband of the church. We are the bride of Christ. Not the bride of the old law. We as Christians are dead to the law because of Christ's body. Jesus in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 15 and 16 says, Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of the ten, excuse me, the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, therefore putting to death the enmity. But watch out. Look out. Now this is a lengthy passage, but I want you to, I want you to stay with me. Watch out. This is, this is one of those, I mean, from the very first word, you can tell that Paul is writing to these Colossians and he's telling us today there's something that you've got to be aware of. This is, there's some danger out there. This is, a, again, a lengthy passage, but bear with me because I can't say it better than Paul said it, all right? Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, not according to Christ. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. In Him... You were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Do you see that? Do you, do you understand what he's saying there? The old law, the old commandments, the old Ten Commandments, they've been nailed to the cross. We don't follow them anymore. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it so that no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you. He's he's trying to show them, beware now, don't let people cheat you. And people try to cheat us all the time. We've got friends and family members who love us. And they're ignorant of the fact that they're trying to cheat us all the time. (laughs) It's amazing. Let no one cheat you. No one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God Almighty. The law of Moses was a shadow. But Christ is the real thing. Now, there are obvious divisions of time in the Bible that are given the fancy name of dispensation. 
There are three biblical divisions of time or dispensations in the Bible. The patriarchal, the, the, the mosaic age, and the, the, the Christian age. The patriarchal was the time in the Bible before the law. It's the time of Abraham. It's the time of Noah. It's the time of, of Adam. It's the time of Isaac. It's the time of Jacob. It's, it's the time of the twelve sons. It's the time of Joseph and his bondage in Egypt. It's, it's the time of Noah. Did Noah keep the Ten Commandments? No. That law wasn't given to him, as we've read. The Jewish dispensation, it includes the the tribes following following Moses in the desert. It includes the judges. It includes Saul and David and Solomon and the prophets all the way to Jesus. In the Christian dispensation, can one serve God acceptably, acceptably and as a Christian keep the works of the old law? No. It says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 20, verses 2 through 4, Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you've fallen from grace. A Christian cannot practice the old law without keeping it all. There's no way to keep it all today. (laughs) Really, there's no way to keep the old law today. How how are you going to do it? There's there's no priesthood. There's no temple. There's no Ark of the Covenant. There's no place to take the animal sacrifice to. You couldn't do it in the United States. You couldn't. I mean, that's not where Jerusalem is. That's not where the holy city is. In fact, God made it so complete that He leveled the temple and a Muslim mosque sits right on the spot. where Now, now really, how big of a war do you think it would be if the Jews over there today tried to destroy that Muslim mosque and build the temple back? He ain't going to happen. Not not that something, unless God wants it to. The law, the old law is dead. It's been nailed to the cross. You can't even practice it anymore. I'm not being racist. I'm not being anti-Semitic. I'm being realistic. You cannot practice the old law the way the Bible says to practice the old law anymore. If I'm not telling you the truth, please correct me. But we cannot keep the old law. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 6. But now... He has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. For if the, law, for if the first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day which I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. And this is our days today. I will put my laws 
in their mind. And I will write them on their hearts. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. In that he says a new covenant. He has made the first obsolete. Now what has become obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. The book of Hebrews was written before the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. Jerusalem was destroyed by Rome. That's why here in verse 13 it says, Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. When they destroyed Jerusalem and they destroyed the temple, they destroyed effectively any hopes of ever worshiping the old law as God intended them to do. The Hebrew writer said that every day the priests sacrifice bulls and goats that could never take away sins. But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is not of this creation but not with the, the blood of goats and calves but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all having obtained eternal redemption how much more proof do we need how much more proof do those who worship on Saturday or those who worship the old law and parts of the new need They can't figure it out because they just don't know. They haven't studied the Scriptures. Oh, how we need to study our Bibles so that we don't get tricked. Where would you send somebody? to study who didn't believe in Jesus. Would you give them a commentary? Would you get a track off the wall back there and hand that to them? John chapter 20, verse 30 says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. You send them to the Bible. Folks who don't know about Jesus, folks who don't know the gospel, folks who are, who are ignorant of the truth, you don't give them a track. You don't give them a commentary. Those are good for later on, maybe. Get them into the scriptures. Luke chapter 24, verse 46. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer And to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but 
tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power upon high. We've learned in Acts class. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire and one sat upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The book of Acts then gives the history of the church and how men and women were converted to Christ from, from, from Acts. In the letters we learn the actions of the church under inspired power from the words of Paul and Peter and John and Jude and Jesus. We learn how to live as a Christian and we cannot learn this from the Old Testament. The Old Testament's for our learning. But we are not to obey the commands of something we have not been commanded to do in the New Testament. There are so many false teachers out there who say that the old law is binding, but it is to their doom if they continue in this teaching. Just like there are two testaments, there are two types of people mentioned in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17. For the time has come for the judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not, do not obey the gospel of God? Now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? It's tough being a Christian, Peter's saying. Judgment starts with us, Christian. Judgment starts with us. And if we are scarcely saved, what about those who've never obeyed the gospel? We need to be adding to our faith, goodness, to our goodness, knowledge, to our knowledge, self-control, to our self-control, perseverance, to our perseverance, godliness. We need to be adding to our godliness, brotherly kindness. We need to be adding to our brotherly kindness, love. We need to love each other. And growing in it daily. We need to know that we as Christians live, Hebrews 10, verse 20, by a new and living way, which He consecrated for us through the veil, that is, His flesh. And if we obey the gospel, if we as Christians, we obey the gospel, the good news about Jesus, by living this new way, we show that we love Him. He said in John chapter 14, verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. Do you love Him? And if we keep His commandments... In the New Testament, we will be blessed. Romans chapter 22, verse 14. Blessed are those who do His commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Do you have that right? The New Testament commands you to obey. The New Testament commands you to obey by believing, repenting, Confessing and being baptized—that's that's what I want to put on the. That's what I want to put on the wagon. That's what I want to put on the on the parade float. That's what I want everybody to understand. I want everybody to understand that simple fact that you've got to hear God's word. When you've heard it, you've got to believe it. You've got to repent of your sins. You've got to confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and be baptized into Him. I want all of Portland to know that. If it takes a parade float to do it. The New Testament commands you to obey. And you've got to do it God's way. Believe. Repent. Confess. And be baptized. 
If you have fallen from grace, the truth says, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus, He, he fulfilled the law. Do not, came, do not think I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. He did it. He fulfilled the law of, of the prophets. He is the Messiah. Do you believe this? Do you believe that He is the anointed one? Do you believe that He's the one that was to come and save us all? If you do, if you do, then what I want you to do right now is I want you to come forward at the singing of the song that Eric and the rest of the congregation is about to sing. I want you to come forward. I want you to take my hand. This is what's going to happen. When you come forward and you take my hand, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God? He says if we confess Jesus before others, He'll confess us before our Father in heaven. I'm going to ask you, do you believe that Jesus Christ is... If you tell me yes, it won't take with just a few seconds to baptize you into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what I want you to do if you need to right now. Let's together. Stand together.